Good evening. Welcome to our time together for Bible study tonight. <clears throat> I'll highly recommend that you have your Bible open to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We still have a number of people who are out due to illness, but we're happy that you're able to be here, and we have some of the teenagers in tonight because of the emphasis of this particular chapter to challenges that all of us go through, but particularly our young people. Here's one good way to view this Old Testament book. Solomon is preaching. He is preaching to people who are gathered, who desire basic information about what life is about. And his sermon is for any who will listen and learn, and in our case today, read and learn. And the message is, if life here on earth is all you have without God, that existence is vanity of vanities. That means it is futile. It is useless. And that's a double expression, vanity of vanities, with two negatives, meaning it is not just vanity, but vanity of vanities. Life on earth without God is empty, as empty as empty can be. Solomon, through his own misbehavior, learned that self-indulgence is striving after wind. There's nothing to be gained by it, just a temporary thrill. And we're going to let Solomon tell his story tonight from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Remembering that this is not just Solomon's story. God wanted this story to be in his revelation to us. We'll begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we express to thee our praise and give to thee our glory. For Jesus, for thy word for each other, for good opportunities. We express our gratitude and appeal to thee for help in our concentration and then our application of thy word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, please, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're in verses 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few years of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. 
I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What we've just read happens over and over again. Where people come to a place in life where they perceive that now is the time for every possible pleasure the world offers to be tried. So there is this reckless journey into self-indulgence where there is really no lasting satisfaction to be found, just time and money wasted, relationships broken, and perhaps, with some people, lessons learned. This sometimes happens when children leave home, like the prodigal son, now without the restraint of parental authority, reckless living is pursued. A young man or woman goes off to college or they leave for a job and sometimes the predominant plan is to do everything you couldn't do when you were at home. A teenager leaves home for college or military and sometimes the carnal ambition quickly kicks in. And it's like they say to themselves, now I can see what it's like to get drunk, to lose my virginity, to spend my own money for anything I want. So there is this reckless journey into self-indulgence where, as I said before, no satisfaction is found, just time and money wasted, relationships broken, and perhaps with a few lessons are learned. Solomon is telling his readers, that's exactly what I did. And his testimony is, it didn't turn out good. I tried everything a man could indulge in. I surrounded myself with what the world offers. I'm reminded when I read Ecclesiastes 2 of the song, The Wanderer, the lead vocal by Johnny Cash. And he said, I went out there in search of experience to taste and to touch and to feel as much as a man can before he repents. Solomon did that. And Solomon, after doing everything that possibly could be done to satisfy every appetite that he perceived that was in his mind, he said, behold, all was vanity. Now, before you do anything else with this text, mark those three words. All was vanity. Solomon is saying, 
when your life is limited to what's here and you're just focused on what's under the sun and you pay no attention to the maker of the sun and you satisfy all these appetites, here's what the conclusion is. All is vanity. If you have the New International Version, it's going to say, a chasing after the wind. Now, let's go back and look at what Solomon tells us and let's observe some strong clues about what took place in this man's journey into self-indulgence. And first of all, right off the page, perhaps at your first glance at Ecclesiastes 2, you see something that speaks very clearly, and it's very simple. And it is the pronouns. The pronouns tell the story. Notice Look through the passage, and if you want to mark them, maybe circle them or put an underline there or a highlight, and you'll find the pronouns scattered all through this. I, my, myself. I have the English Standard Version, and in these 11 verses, 16 times, there is the personal pronoun I. Every sentence has I or me or myself in it. Now there's a lesson right there for young people and all of us. These trips that people take into self-indulgence are self-centered. They're not for others. They're not to glorify God. They're not to make you a better person. They're not to help humanity. They're not to build character. In the pursuit of unmitigated indulgence and pleasure, all is vanity. You wind up chasing what you will never really catch. You're paying for your own destruction before it eternally happens when you take this journey and you never come out of it. And it all starts with self-focus. I Myself, mine, this is what I did, this is what I sought. That's a clue that you're following the pathway, Solomon says, leads to vanity. Secondly, let's understand that Solomon is not writing as a detached commentator or a journalistic witness. He did this. He did everything he reports. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He set out to do this on purpose. He didn't slip into this lifestyle of self-indulgence. He set out to do it. He applied himself to the experiment. He used people. He did this and concluded there was nothing to be gained. So this is the voice of personal experience. And we all need to listen to what he's saying. Not only because of his experience, but because he's preaching the word God wanted him to write for us. And may I please observe, every time you read a story like this, whether it's in Ecclesiastes or somewhere else, every time you see someone in real life set out on this fool's journey, look at that not with admiration but with personal determination that you will not do it and you will try to reach others 
within your reach and your family to not take this journey into self-indulgence. That brings me to this. There was nothing in this hedonistic lifestyle that honored God. I think people who live this way have to admit that, and many people will. Ask the person who is drunk, did you honor God in that episode? And they will almost always, with shame, admit that they didn't honor God through their drunken behavior. The man who brags of all the women he's had will generally not claim that those relationships honored the Creator. There is nothing in this hedonistic lifestyle Solomon describes under the sun that glorifies God, that honors the Maker, or that is any expression of being a disciple of Christ. That reality can't just be pushed away because you'll have to reckon with it later. If you push God away and get involved in this self-indulgence, you need to know every step of the way you'll answer for it if you don't change and come out of it. The fool's journey into the world is always away from God and away from Christ and never leads to heaven. Don't deceive yourself into thinking, I'll take this fool's journey and somehow, some way, I'll just wind up in heaven. That's not where this leads. Solomon said it's vanity, chasing after the wind. Fourth, I think this clarification is needed. Not everything Solomon did was inherently sinful. There's nothing inherently wrong with laughter. Maybe sometimes in life we need more of that. Nothing wrong with planting a garden or enjoying good music. But when these activities are combined with ungodly pursuits and become the whole purpose of your existence, to indulge your appetites and leave God out and just focus on what's under the sun, not the one who made the sun, you set yourself up for vanity and a striving after the wind. Just as today... It may not be alcohol or sex. It may be a variety of pursuits that are not inherently wrong, but they become your idols. And you squeeze God out by these things. Anything can take you away from God if it doesn't honor Him, if it robs Him of what we owe to Him, if it renders us ineffective, ruined disciples. That's Ecclesiastes 2. 1 through 11. I want to pause there for questions or comments. Let's do this. With all that in mind that we've considered, let's read it again and see if what I've said rings true. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. 
I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. There's more to be said about this. The argument may be made about this famous Old Testament passage that these projects and pursuits were so large that only a few people could ever attempt this today on this scale. And there may be some truth in that. But I want to remind us of a few things. Solomon had resources none of us have. He had wealth and access to people and nations and servants and power. We do not have and we will likely never have the modern day equivalent of what Solomon had. This was like building or attempting to build in a misguided way a second Garden of Eden. He created a little world, uh, exquisite, a secular Garden of Eden, full of civilized and agreeably uncivilized delights, but with no forbidden fruits. Notice that almost everything here occurs in plural. Houses, Vineyards, gardens, parks, trees, pools, songs, women, servants, silver, and gold. We may read this and there may be some temptation to say, to say to ourselves, this isn't about me. Not in any way I could never build this kind of a state or plantation or hedonistic world. It's all I can do to pay for one house. It's understood that we don't have the resources Solomon had, but on a smaller scale we may have the same appetites. And they might find expression in similar ways, though not as large as this. On a smaller scale, we may seek purpose in indulgence in the world to our ruin. We don't have Solomon's resources, but if we are not well disciplined spiritually, we may discover we have Solomon's appetite. So separate out appetite from how he fulfilled his appetite with all that he had, and just look at the appetite aspect of his journey into self-indulgence. And that's what we need to guard against. And I, I need to add this. Do you know we actually have some things Solomon didn't have? 
We live in modern homes with climate control. We listen to a much greater variety of music. We have methods of transportation and communication unknown in Solomon's time. And as far as his indulgence of women, that is readily available on the internet. Endless supply of virtual partners in lewdness that destroy families and addict people. In our supermarkets, we have varieties of food Solomon knew nothing about. We have places to eat out and go to movies and travel great distances quickly and turn our computers on and talk to anyone in the world. So like Solomon, we have opportunities to indulge our appetites. But when we try to find our purpose in self-indulgence, we're going to wind up, hopefully, concluding what Solomon concluded. It doesn't work. It's not what life is all about. Leave God out and there is this dramatic result of emptiness, vanity, a striving after the wind. You with me? We are always, when we study this, struck by the statement in verse 3. We'll go back and talk about it. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Historically, here's what students and scholars inevitably ask about this. How is it that you intoxicate yourself while claiming that you're being guided by wisdom? It sounds at first contradictory to all that we know about intoxication. And much that we know about the danger of intoxication, Solomon gives us in Proverbs. So how do you intoxicate yourself while retaining wisdom? And I'm going to give you what my answer is to this. And you may have a better answer, but here's what occurs to me. Though you make the wrong choice to cheer your body and perhaps intoxicate your mind... It doesn't mean that you've lost your raw intelligence or that you are incapable of sobering up and repenting. And this is exactly what we tell people who are addicted to something. Even though they are impaired, they're usually still able to listen to warnings and reflect on wisdom enough to change and repent. When Maybe when the juice wears off, appeals can be made. So, I've said some very strong things over, over 40 years about intoxication, mostly from Proverbs 20 and 23, written by Solomon. But we need to be certain we don't leave the impression that once you drink or get drunk, you've lost your mind forever. That would be an exaggeration, hopeless condition. Solomon experimented with wine, but his brains didn't fall out. He was still able to see all is vanity. He wasn't permanently disabled because after his fool's journey into all of this indulgence, he was able to write this in his journal to us. Look at verse 10. We're going to go through and pick out some things to look at. Verse 10, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
This shows something that will absolutely kill you if you don't stop it. And that's an absence of restraint, discipline. Sometimes the word is used, abandon, meaning no limits, no boundaries, no hesitation. If you see it, you take it. If you hear about it, you want to do it. If somebody says, come along, you go. And whatever is offered, you take and you ask for more. That's a miserable way to live. With no restraints. And it will kill you. Certainly spiritually and maybe even literally if you don't wise up and put discipline and restraint into your life. There is a lethal trap the devil has set for us suggesting that we can have everything and taste of everything and play every game and win and eat and drink and be merry and see ultimate rewards. Solomon is saying it, it doesn't work. It just isn't true. And so his conclusion was after his journey into self-indulgence, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let me highlight that phrase, under the sun. When you limit your life perspective to what's here in the world, under the sun, without a relationship with the maker of the Son and the one who made you, you're going to be disappointed. All is vanity. I want you to underline or highlight that word, nothing. Nothing to be gained. Solomon thought he had everything, but in reality he came to a place where he said, I have nothing. Because in this phase of his famous life, God wasn't served and honored. Alright, before my takeaways, I've already given you some of them. Before my takeaways, questions or comments. Let me, let me kick off on that by telling you, if you really want the facts, young people, about intoxication... Check law enforcement statistics. Go to the Texas Department of Public Safety and they have alcohol statistics galore. And they tell you the truth. It is statistically true that you are impaired at that first drink. Now you may think you're not, but remember, your thinking is not clear. Some of the best statistics you can get about alcohol will be found on law enforcement websites. And if you want to explore that a little further, young folks, you want to explore that a little further, interview Chief Sanchez tonight. Take a few minutes and ask him what he has observed and what he has seen in his line of work about the impairment of alcohol. Law enforcement will give you the facts, I'm telling you. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. I didn't hear everything she said, but she's my granddaughter. She's very smart. So I'm sure it was well worded. 
But I think she's talking about the impairment and the effects not only on the brain but on other parts of your body. Have you ever known anybody who drank themselves to death? I have. Maybe you have. Be a good idea to talk to them after they quit and when they really, actually talk to them before they start. But if you talk to them after they quit and when the effects are killing them, they will tell you, don't even start. To the person. That's what they'll tell you. Don't even start. Don't even go down that road. All right. Takeaways. If you ever wish that you had everything... Everything you can imagine. Servants, musicians, food of every kind, comedians, houses, millions of dollars, fame, and anything else you wanted. Attention from people, celebrity status. Remember this passage and dismiss that wish. Solomon says, here's what it amounts to. Nothing. If you leave God out and you just fulfill appetites here in the world... What you have is nothing. So dismiss that thought when you start doing all that fantasizing and daydreaming about having everything you want. And have you thought about this? Everything Solomon pursued, Jesus was tempted by, but he said no. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that the devil unloaded on Jesus everything he had. And Jesus said no to every temptation. There were other temptations he had before that and after that, but the devil unloaded everything he had, believing he would defeat Jesus, and Jesus said no Every single time. And then Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was without sin. What Jesus teaches us is we can say no. But he does more. He laid down his life so we can be forgiven of sin. Serve God who is the maker of the Son. Now you've got a different perspective. You've got a focus that is directed to the maker of the sun rather than a focus that's limited to what's under the sun. Jesus teaches us that our lives do not have to be cluttered up with all the carnal indulgences the world has to offer. And then I found this quote I wanted to share with you. Thomas Kempis wrote this. Let temporal things be used, but things eternal desired. You cannot be satisfied with any temporal good, because you were not created to enjoy these alone. Although you should possess all created good, yet... You could not be happy therewith, nor blessed. But in God, who created all things, 
consists your whole blessedness. I think Kempis captured what Ecclesiastes is all about. Now, turn to, spoiler alert here, turn to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to give you time to turn to the very end of the book. Chapter 12, 13, and 14. And I want you to remember that Solomon doesn't really vividly give his conclusion till he gets to the end of the book. He talks about what men and women do here under the sun and where they try to find fulfillment. And Solomon is leading all this to a conclusion. And when he comes to his conclusion, he actually calls it a conclusion. He says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What a marvelous statement of purpose that we ought to embrace in our lives while we are here under the sun. So beware of anything that takes you away from this ideal way to live. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. I've got another place I can go in the last four or five minutes, but I want to pause again. Questions or comments about Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. Self-centered journeys into indulgence. All right, I want to introduce an idea here that we're going to encounter after this passage two or three times before we get to the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm, I'm going to bring this up two or three times because it is something we must be very clear about in the study of Ecclesiastes. So follow me here for a moment. There are things in life that are all right but not the complete answer to life. And here's the way I want to illustrate that. Marriage, in fact, is an institution set up by God. Money is all right. Property, food, you have to have food. Nowadays, transportation, good health and friends. These are all things that are all right. But the complete answer to what life under the sun is about is not found just here in these things that are right in themselves. And the way I'm going to illustrate that is, consider, is it all right to be single? Certainly is. Is it all right to have not much? Most of us, maybe all of us can identify with that. Is it all right to have no property? Is it all right to have not much food? Interesting that that would come up right after Thanksgiving. It's all right to have not much food. Most people in the world do not have the food supply that we have. Is it all right to have no transportation? Many people in third world countries have no transportation except the transportation God gave them. Uh, if you're ill, 
It's not a sin to be ill. It's all right to be ill. You want to be healthy, but it's all right. Uh, And if you don't have many friends, there are many people in the world who may not have the network of friends that we have. So what I'm saying here, and Solomon's going to make this point several times before the end of the book, there are things that are all right, but they're not the complete answer. The complete answer is what Solomon tells us at the end of the book. And the complete answer, of course, is to fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So, young people, here's what I want you to do. Read Ecclesiastes 2, 1-11 with your parents. Read Ecclesiastes 2, 1-11 with your parents and have a conversation about these foolish journeys into self-indulgence. And then be sure at the end of that discussion with your parents, you go to Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. All right? Thank you for your good attention to our study.